From the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. Hey, this is MJ. Then this is Mark. And that's Mark over there. And we have a great guest in studio again, but we're not going to introduce them for a while because we got to do our banter. Banter, banter, banter. Banter, banter, banter. How are you, Perry? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm happy. Uh, life is good. Uh, my projects are moving forward, which is great. The weather in Portland. I mean, look out the window right now. The weather in Portland is really, really nice. We're between rain clouds. I have a question for you this morning, though. Quest away. All prepared. What is your definition? My son and I went to a uh, theater production last night here in Portland. I love having dates with my son. I love that he enjoys the theater. I don't have Aww. to drag him anymore. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it was interesting. We got in a great philosophical conversation afterwards. So I'm going to I'm going to ask you the question we were discussing amongst ourselves. What is your definition of success, and do you feel as if you have attained it? I thought you were going to go more in a theater way with this. I so thought so that, too. That I thought like, we were going into arts play? and culture. Right, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Instead, it's like, oh, okay, <clears throat> going deep. Uh, for me. It's just this is just my obviously my personal opinion, right. but success for me is like a really strong connection with my inner being, and then my reality shaping out as a result of that. If I can do that, then I'm happy. It's funny, you know. Um, we again, we were having that. This I'm having this conversation with my 21 year old son, and um, he asked me if I thought I was successful, and I said, "Well, it depends on the day." Sometimes I'm like, yep, I'm all that in a bag of chips. Yeah. And some days I'm like, what the hell am I thinking I'm living in a 200-square-foot wood box? It's funny because I'm going through a little bit of a crisis right now around kind of that as I explore. Sorry about that, Mark. It's okay. As I explore, it's hard because the guests are over there. Well, pull it, pull, pull, it, pull, 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 but there it won't we go. turn. Oh, cool. yeah, yeah, the angles are so, messed um, up. So, that, so it's hard. I'm going through this, this process right now where I am... Um, somewhat doing what our guest did and um, reassessing who gets to who has the say in my life and so like success could be measured as nice nice job or some sort of thing that you've achieved in the professional space uh uh-huh or some sort of accomplishment in the material consumption world or uh, a relationship or including which could include raising children and a family and things like that Um, but for me First of all, success is about what I say it is. And, and, but the challenge I'm having is being 53 years old and living in this society and all that t- most of that time having society tell me what success is and then uh, adhering to that dictate. And now I'm having to, because of what I just said my definition of success is, now I'm having to reassess what that means. And because of that, I am confronting directly the stories that I've taken on from society about what success means. And and what I believe is that if I am successful in the way that I defined it, then all those other successes will come. Yeah. So I get I get the question. It's a good question. You're positively focused, I would say. That's exactly right, Mark. <laughs> well, that's a hard one because, you know, a lot of people are going to obviously try to put money on it or happiness and, and a lot of components that fit. But some of it depends, obviously, on what country you even live in. Very good you point. Know? Yeah. I mean, 
by most standards, we all live incredibly well in this country. Even those that we've looked at as living in poverty here would be wealthy in other countries. Mm-hmm. So components of it change too, I right. think, as we get older and realize it's not money and things and stuff, which kind of ties to our show. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Podcast, yeah. Less stuff, more life, more living, more experiences. Mm-hmm. Talking to your kid about that, who has, he's seen that. Okay. He's seen you live that reality as you've gone towards the tiny house and I don't want to say made something out of nothing, but you've made your reality come true, but in a tiny way. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to be a billionaire mm-hmm. that I'm aware of. Not yet. <laughs> no, it is fun to have the philosophical conversations with someone in an entirely different generation, someone that is, you know, very thoughtful, very introspective, obviously supportive of me. He doesn't consider himself, for instance, he said successfully yet. So that's really nice to know, right, that he's sort of, you know, being very thoughtful about his self and his direction. And our next question, maybe I will say for the next um, podcast, but maybe we'll talk about it is what um, what fulfills you. We got to talk a little bit about that too. So it's kind of a jump off of the success question, but um, it's really fun. It's really fun to get to know you every time we we have a conversation of this depth. I appreciate the opportunity. So yeah, no problem. It's, thank it's, you for indulging me in my deep moment of thought. Yeah, it's interesting because the things that I do, Mark kind of alluded to it. The things that I do in my daily life when I'm not doing the podcast have a lot to do with what I measure success by. And because of that, the things that I'm doing they take a while to mature into what people would call in the material world as successful. And a lot, and I believe that a lot of the reasons why it's taking so long is because of what I said earlier about me um, changing my stories around who gets to have say and then eliminating the resistance that comes with that whole conflict in, in my head. Mm-hmm. So success for me is more about what's going on between my ears than what's going on in the world because if I can get success in there, then the world will match that. Well, and we've also talked in the past about like Olympic athletes, you know, they've been training for 15 or more years to win that gold medal. And that's the epitome of success. And then they do it. And, and then they're then like, what? exactly. Uh-oh. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're done. Okay. <laughs> well, or we turn it to the same question. The first question out of the box mm. for our guest. Nice. No, she's not prepared to go Uh-oh. that deep so, this morning. I think the answer is <laughs> Well, it's, it's interesting because it's interesting because the question that you asked is kind of the question that she answered when she got into doing what she's doing. So let's welcome to the show, B.A. <laughs> <B. A>. Norgard. <laughs> she's over there, silent as a mouse. Welcome to Portland. Thank you. Good morning. Yeah. Thanks for having me. We're really lucky. I mean, it's taken, it's taken a long time to catch up with her and get our schedules all aligned. And then we're even lucky to have her in studio, which as those of us uh, are in studio, these are always fun ones. The dynamic is so much funner. Totally. Yeah. So I guess the warm-up question would be, what are you doing in Portland? What? And then we'll get to the deeper question. <laughs> um, my oldest sister, Marcia, lives here. And so uh, my husband, John, and I got on the road in Dallas on February 6th and started driving and took a really scenic and leisurely trip here. It took us two, almost two weeks to get here. We went up Highway 1, which is sort of a bucket list drive. It was spectacular. And um, so now we're kind of poking around in Portland and up in... Washington. We've gone up through Olympia and Bellingham, and uh, our visit is has a few purposes. One was to come and help my sister with some honeydew projects in her house and have some sister time. And then John and I wanted to come and explore the Pacific Northwest in the winter. We know that we would love it here in the summer. And so we're 
trying to decide where we want to be long term, um, if we have a relocation in our future or not. Uh, we have a complicated map of where we need to be when for family and for what kind of weather we like. And so we have a lot of moving parts that mm. we're trying to fit in. But mm-hmm. we're hoping that the West Coast is part of that at some point. Is your, Did you tow your tiny house up here? Or is no, that... it's still in Dallas. Okay. We didn't bring it for this trip. We're just in a, we have a car camping. We're in our Honda Element. We have a bed platform and oh, yeah. all that built into that. So Elements we're traveling in that. Yeah. Yeah. Are... Like which came first? Was it a car that <laughs> happened to work for car camping? I know. Or did they see a car camping need and then build a car to hold that? It's incredible. And then they quit making them. That's just what I was going to say. Which is ridiculous because so many people want them. It seems like it. You have to watch the sales list when you are yeah. looking for one. Yeah, you mm. really do. And then so. you got to pay top dollar. Did so you know that Prius actually? There's like a whole <laughs> Facebook page for Prius car campers too. Their I did products, not know that. yeah, their wow. products and their like specific, mm. you know, like shape to the window, mm-hmm. like how to make that. Yeah, there's wow. I, that's cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is really cool. That's even smaller than the Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. it is. That's yeah. it is a lot smaller. A lot yeah. smaller. Yeah. <laughs> In high school, my friend had a VW Bug, an old like 1968 one. Mm-hmm. Took out the back seat and put a bed in back. No uh, way. I went for sleeping. Uh, there you go. It was, you know, uh, high school. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so remember when I went to Vermont, um, I actually did car camping. It was me in a rental car for seven days. I went, flew in, got an SUV, folded, went immediately to Walmart and got a air mattress and then drove to Goodwill and spent about 20 bucks on, you know, pillows and blankets and all that fun stuff. Hilarious. And it was the best vacation ever. So <laughs> it sounds uh, fun. Yeah. It sounds fun. No I might have brought my own pillow, but other than that, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you there. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, um, I presume that everybody knows BA in everyone who's listening to this show knows who you are. I don't know. Yeah, don't know we either. should probably, you know, for the <clears throat> two listeners that don't, we yeah, should yeah. probably... I think that's unlikely, but... I don't know. Yeah, that's what well, I think. Well, now that we're on larger platforms, iHeartRadio mm-hmm. and Google Play, good we're point. on, some, we're on some larger platforms. We're getting a little outside of our niche box. Mm-hmm. So, that's true. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and let her do her, her uh, what is it called, elevator speech. Yeah, like, how'd you get to where you got? <laughs> There you go. That's a good way to no, no pressure. Um, I was in the legal field in Dallas for over 26 years. I was a litigation paralegal. And in 2012, I was at sort of a crossroads that led me to uh, studying with a career transition coach for nine months. And then I sold my house. I opened the doors, had an estate sale, sold all of the contents, uh, leased a little apartment. A few months later, I went to my first tiny house workshop, which was Jay Schaefer in Northern California. Back then, there were not a lot of Pinterest pages and blogs and Facebook groups and all that for tiny houses, or if they were there, I was unaware of them, which is equally possible. And so I went to the workshop. I stood in one tiny house, which was Jay's, um, asked him if I could make sure that my yoga mat unrolled in the living room, and it did, so I bought those plants and started construction, and I moved in in April of 14, and... Right before that, I started DFW Tiny House Enthusiasts, which is now the largest tiny house meetup group in the nation. I have over 2,200 members. And uh, now I do tiny house village exhibits. I do a couple of those a year. And I teach some workshops and do some consulting and downsizing, like independent, you know, like on Thumbtack. You can hire me to come in and help you clean out your house. Um, 
And so now I've traveled, I guess, about 11,000 miles with my tiny house, mostly on the western half of the U.S. Mm-hmm. And now we're trying to figure out what's next. I had this tidy little plan all set up, and then I found a man on my porch. <laughs> and uh, you may or may know I got married. We got married at the Jamboree a uh, year before last. And so now 78 square feet seems a little snug. I was going to ask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we think that we are going to build a straw bale house somewhere. Uh, we don't know where. That's slightly larger and hopefully have space to host a few other tinies on our property. Nice. So that's the that's the bigger plan, but we're still kind of trying to figure out what we want to be when we grow up. So, so one thing that you so um, you mentioned when you were in paralegal, you did uh, some work. I think you said it was nine months with a with a career coach, mm-hmm. a transitions coach, mm-hmm. and then you sold all your possessions. So something happened in the career coaching. That had you do that, perhaps. What 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 did you see in that uh, engagement that had you take such a drastic mm-hmm. step in that direct those directions? So <clears throat> we did all of the evaluations that you know the Minnesota multiple personality whatever and all those you know what is your there's all the tests that you can do for self examination and then there were a lot of group exercises. I was in a group of eight women just happen to be women. It's not always. And we met every Saturday from nine until four for nine months. Wow. Um, and it was a lot, it was hard, hard work. My career coach, Helen Harkness, makes you work. She expects a lot of you. And so at the end of all of that study, the magic computer spit out a list of careers that were perfect for BA. <laughs> One of them I'd already done. So that was validating that what I had chosen to do was actually on the list. And then um, the rest of them, I just, I didn't want to do, or they were going to require extensive extensive additional education, which I was not interested in doing. I did not love college. What were they, for example? Um, An engineer. I was supposed to go be an engineer. Um, Park ranger, that had some allure, but I've gotten now that I'm a little bit older that I have about a seven degree window that I'm comfortable in. Of temperature, mm-hmm. and so you know, the uniform would be great, but I'm not sure that I want to be outside year round. Tell me. And so, anyway, I got kind of cranky about it, and I told her, I said, I don't want to do any of these, and I got kind of pouty, and I expected her to say, "Well, you have to pick one." But the glorious thing about her is, instead, she just sat back and pushed all the books aside and said, "What do you want to do?" And out of a lot of discussion came tiny houses, both as a lifestyle and as an occupation. So you, so sorry, we're gonna uh, we tend to interrupt because okay. you, you say something. No, it's all and good. Okay, so th- there was you. You knew about the tiny house movement at that time. I did, and I had I had said to her, it would be really cool if I could figure out something to do with tiny houses. Mm. So, but how in the heck can I make a living with that? Like, what is that? Mm-hmm. And so that's what we've figured it out. I know. Let's not start a podcast. That's exactly for sure. sure. (laughs) Two years later, we're still. It's not easy. It's fun, but it is not easy. And so. Even um, even now? Yeah, even now. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. It's it's a ton of fun, but it is it's hard work, and you got to stay on top of it. And the the movement and the demographics and everything are moving and changing so rapidly yeah. that you just think, "Ooh, I have this little piece identified," and then you have a cup of coffee and turn around to tell somebody <laughs> about it, and it's changed. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's you guys know it's that fast, yeah. Yeah. right? And so, and then all kinds of things crop up that you don't expect 
to come. You're like, whoa, who saw that happening? Okay, Mm -hmm. uh, let me think about that. How does that fit in? And so, yeah, I wouldn't say that it's easy, but it's it's worth it, and it's a rich life, and it's full of adventure and color and cool people and challenges and, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. So um, you were talking about sort of so when you said, "Oh, I'd like to think about doing something in tiny houses." What do you think was in your head at the time? Were you thinking consulting or were you thinking building? And then how does that original impression um, either match or not match uh, what reality is? Uh, So at that time, I had just the only idea I had was to travel. I knew I wanted to travel in a tiny house. If I built one, it was going to be one for travel. Mm-hmm. And I had read Jay's book, um, which now the name of that escapes me. But um, And I had emailed him, and we got to where we would chat on the phone every Sunday. We hadn't met yet. And I decided that I wanted to be his, like, forerunner for all of his workshops. So if he was going to do a workshop in, I don't know, San Diego, then a month in advance of that workshop, I was going to cruise through San Diego with my house and do an open house and do some events and build excitement for his workshops and then loop back at the time of the workshop and have my house there and teach workshops with him. Right. And that kind of happened, which was mind-blowing. Um, and then, you know, that didn't last a terribly long time. We did it for a while and we still do events together, but, um, so, and it kind of, that's what I ended up doing, but then it turned out that I was the one teaching the workshops, that it wasn't just him teaching them. Um, but I, a lot of the travel that I did around the country was for events and for promoting events and then attending the events. So that actually happened, which is neat, (laughs) but uh, it's you know it's changed over time. Right. I didn't think that I would be the one assembling village exhibits like that. Just sort of happened. Mm. A lot of the stuff just sort of happens. And if you know, you guys know, if you pay attention and look around you, those opportunities come. And if you're open and looking and willing to say yes, then well, opportunity the view you know, changes favors the prepared. Is the same you know the same thing. Well, too, that's also true. Yeah. Putting yourself in a position um, where you constantly have make relationships a priority. Um, I'm in the same thing. Like, you know, someone calls me yesterday. They're like, we want to do this. And I'm like, oh, so like (laughs) trying to figure out whether or not I can actually fit that into my Mm -hmm. current trajectory or how far out of the box I'm willing to go. So, right. Right. So you're actually, however, still doing some event planning, right? As I understand it, you're going to be involved in the the next jamboree as well. Um, so yes. the event's got a little bit bigger, though. Um, that, by the way, that's kind of a crazy project. You want to talk a little bit about the village and the event planning for some of these huge, monstrous size events, and and uh, tell us a little bit about the challenges and the rewards of those. Sure. So, um, as far as village exhibits, I I just do two a year. I do Earth Day in Dallas, and this is my fifth year there. The first two years, it was just my house. And the third year, they said, do you have any friends? I, <laughs> As a matter of fact, I do have some friends. Uh, and so, that's how the village thing started. And then, uh, the Jamboree, that was just a 
crazy development two years ago. I guess this is just my second year doing that. Um, did not expect that phone call that day. Did not really have any precursor to anticipate that phone call. But um, so the first year that it moved to Texas, which was last year, I organized the speakers and the village. And then this year I'm just doing the village because the format is changing a lot. They aren't having as many speakers. It's um, a little more split evenly between the business-to-business side of things and the um, consumer, I guess you'd call it, versus the year prior when it was almost exclusively about the consumer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so the village exhibits are fun. Um, it's, It's fun to figure out the different personalities and then to, you know, figure out who's going to park next to whom and... I've I've gotten the village thing kind of dialed in where it's sort of easy for me now. Mm-hmm. I've done that, enough of that part, but I don't know. I've I've just I've learned a lot about event planning, but I sort <laughs> of had that under my hat already from doing a lot of out of state jury trials. Mm-hmm. That's event planning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. the courtrooms, the stage kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And so I found that that organization is easy for me, and making lists is very satisfying. And so that just kind of lends itself to the same. And I get to see really cool houses and yeah. reading all the applications is really fun. Mm-hmm. People are so creative and entertaining when they write. <laughs> <laughs> so so you mentioned how quickly the tiny house movement has changed. Can you give us like a um, overview of the changes that you've seen? Um, sure. So I think the one of the changes is there's a lot more families going into tiny houses than just oh. you know I think for me what I saw initially was mostly women in their 40s and 50s was seemed to be the largest demographic and then it it has spread out both older and younger but for me the family part is a pretty big change um, I see so many builders trying to get their footing and that's a tough that's such a hard business. You know, you how many can you build at once to really, you know, you the mass production thing, you know, you can do that, but then you lose some of the personality, mm-hmm. I think, which I think is one of the greatest things about the tiny houses that every single one of them is different. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I understand it. I understand that when a idea takes off and is popularized, of course, it's going to go commercial. I mean, of course. Um, but the tiny house realm is not an easy one to take commercial yeah i don't think um so that's been i think probably the biggest yeah as evidenced by some of these bigger builders that are really really struggling yeah it's a tough business and you know i i talked with the builder for a while years ago and we thought we were going to start building and we ran the numbers and went, ooh, maybe not. No, yeah. no, let's, let's not do that. You know, not it's so hard. Much. And I really admire those builders that are making it work and are building really beautiful houses. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's probably the biggest change is that just how fast it's spread and become a lot more of a in the public eye. And people aren't as surprised when they hear about them anymore. It's like, oh, yeah, those are... and. And the other thing is how many festivals and events there are. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, it used to be there'd be like two or three a year in the country. And right. now, you know, each little corner of the country has two or three a year, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. So, so um, sensitive question maybe. 
Uh, the last. Oh, she made a frown. <laughs> you can just say I don't want to answer. Maybe we didn't warn her. We're the. Yeah. Uh, we I, take the intuitive yeah. cues. Um, uh oh, she's going for a water. Where's that Kit Kat bar? Uh-oh. <laughs> um, so a while ago, I I think you had hooked up with Lena Menard and a bunch of people, like young people, that were pulling together some sort of an association or group. Um, Tell us a little bit about that and what happened. So that was the Tiny House Collaborative. Yes. And it the original members were, were uh, Lena Menard, Lee Para, Alec Lisevsky, James Taylor, Kai Rothschek, and me. So the six of us. And it was born out of the first jamboree. That's right. We were on a hike in Garden of the Gods, and a lot of us had met for the first time in person that weekend. We knew each other on Facebook, and and we were hiking and talking about what a struggle it was to try to make it on your own, to do your own business. And then we started looking around the circle and going, oh, well, we all do something different. What if we collaborated? And so we did, and we spent a lot of time figuring out our mission and vision statement and what we wanted to be and what we wanted to lead, what we wanted to be a part of. And then our schedules got really aggressive and some people were like, oh, this is going to be, this is more work than I thought it was going to be. This is harder than I thought it was going to be. So we lost a couple members. And then ultimately, I think where we each wanted to go with it didn't really jive. Like we didn't know each other all that well when we connected. Yeah. It seemed like it was going to be all lollipops and polka dots, but yeah. really, <laughs> it wasn't. It really is. <laughs> yeah. We had, you we know, we. Show. I think we did a lot of, um, a lot of good, and we had a lot of fun. But ultimately, it was we were all just too different, and it was, and we were all too busy, and time zones and schedules and. Anyway, so we let it go in January hmm. or December. Of this past year, um, we're all doing a lot of the things that we were doing before. We're just not doing them together. Got it. Got it. We've had most of those people as guests in past shows. Pretty much. Well, I think yeah. the, all of them. All of them, all except, of them. For, She's, except yes. for James Taylor, who went back on tour. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I'm and really. Carly Simon for some reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm grateful for the time with those five people, and I'm grateful for the experiences that we had. So. That first jamboree was so momentous for all of us. It really was. So, and who I, saw that coming? <laughs> like, it was so Darren weird. didn't even see that coming. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> he it had no idea what was coming over that grassy hill. Yeah. <laughs> it was so, so, so life changing. It was such a turning point. It was yeah. such a tipping point for so many of us, and, and for the movement. Yeah, you know, not just the individual people, but I think it really it was the first time that. I think it got some national recognition that, oh, maybe this isn't a fad. Yeah, Darren is actually in Portland, and I had a chance to corral him for breakfast yesterday. And so we were also sort of lamenting about, wow, isn't it amazing how far the tiny house movement is gone and the people that we now align ourselves with. And, and it's it's a really, really, it's been a fun, albeit roller coaster ride, that's for sure. Yes. Definitely the roller coaster. One of the challenges that's occurring in the in the movement seems to be those who are coming in trying to make money in it. 
and it's like you said, it's really it's really challenging, especially if you're doing it by yourself. And then if you're a builder, that, in my opinion, the numbers just don't work out. I don't understand how people are doing it. Um, but the but where it seems to be working is in the B two B side. Mm-hmm. So like the commercial application of tiny houses, where you can basically build communities. Be basically you're a developer. Um, and so, uh, have you seen that too in your experience? Um, not really. And I'm not saying it's not happening it's out okay. there. It's just not in my, I haven't seen it. But I am not also, I'm not as plugged into what's happening in communities around the country as say Christian and Alexis of Tiny House Expedition are. Mm-hmm. I, I am not on social media a lot. Um, I haven't been for like the last nine months maybe. Mm. And so I am not as plugged in on the community side of things as a lot of people are. Got it. So uh, what I see, the end of it that I see is the consumer end. And I think so many DIYers and and people that have ordered turnkeys, I guess it just applies to everybody who is kind of new in the tiny house movement. And of course, the question is always, where can I put it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think people have sort of a utopian idea of how much they should pay for a place to put it and what those amenities are that come with it. And they get kind of bent out of shape when you tell them it might be four or $500 a month. Four or five. So and, this they, is- and they don't <laughs> like it. You know, They think, well, A, I should be able to build my house for 10 grand because I heard of somebody that did that. Right. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and you can, but it's that whole time versus money thing that right. we're all familiar with. Right. And then the where to put it thing is, you know, it's a whole different animal like, Society's not ready for these yet to be mainstream. And so to carve out a little pocket to put them in, someone's taken a pretty big risk, most likely. And it's expensive. You know, they're mm-hmm. having to put in utilities, and which they wouldn't have to. You know, that's another conversation. But um, I think people want it for just, you know, like 100 bucks a month. Yeah, idealistic reasons. With really mm-hmm. great Wi-Fi and yeah. a washer and dryer right <laughs> yeah. there. And yeah. it's like... Should I apologize now for continuing to spread that utopian reality? Because that's where I live. Well, so wait a second. Is, is so, that, is, am I being irresponsible in my... No, uh, you're not being irresponsible. I think you're comparing apples and oranges. Because I, I think too. I think what, what you're talking about, BA, is what Mark and I discovered when we were thinking about doing a community is that the on the consumer side, there is this... I wouldn't call it utopian. I would just say it's idealism. Mm-hmm. Idealism, where people were thinking they could plop their tiny house on a piece of land, get all the amenities that they want and pay around exactly that amount mm-hmm. of money. 100, 200 bucks and yeah. it's all good. It's like the taxes don't even cover that. Exactly. People. <laughs> it was, the development costs, it's just like building any other community. It doesn't matter how big the home is. It, you still have to deal with the jurisdiction that's going to levy the the, the You're going to run a water tap for 20 grand. That's like, exactly oh. right. And so yep. it, it, they, didn't, they don't understand the um, development side of what they're asking for. Right. And so $500, we ran into that all the time. Everyone we talked to was like well around $500 and we were trying to say, well, what if we added these special amenities that you couldn't get anywhere but then an exclusive type of club? And they were like, eh, don't really need that kind of a thing. And so <laughs> right. it's just like, wow, let's forget this idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think 500 is reasonable, personally. I mean, $500 can be the amount of a condo monthly fees which doesn't yeah. count. That's exactly yeah. right. Your payment yeah. That's exactly That's right. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. But you know, it, that it's the same conversation of people that are 
upset that if you order a turnkey house, it can be 50, 60, 80, 100 grand. I mean, you can go, you can spend obviously as much as you want to spend. But, you know, the, the builders that are building custom homes that are 50 grand and plus are not making a ton of money. You know, they've got to cover health insurance and liability insurance for their employees and overhead for their, I mean, there's all those pieces that go into it that I think the, just the average person on the street doesn't get. And that's okay. I used to not get it either. Yeah. Um, So I just think, you know, some, if we can help educate on what's involved in that, but you know, that's another change in the movement from, I built it in my backyard for 10 grand and look, it's so awesome to you can have one delivered to your home, you know, by Amazon if you want. For 30, <laughs> exactly. For, you know, exactly. it's just, it's a big, it's a big change and it's moved so rapidly that I think people just don't understand all of the pieces that go in from start right. to finish, which yep. I get that. Yeah. So I think it's, it's our responsibility to help them understand and I'm not sure I'm the person for that, but at least, yeah, I, I, at least I can identify. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing is yeah. knowing what you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we talked a little bit about the aha moment associated with the first jamboree and how nobody would have expected that. So we're gonna we're gonna set that that experience in it in its entirety aside. Besides that, what what has been the biggest sort of surprise? Are you are you surprised that you? enjoyed it and you became part of the movement so so relatively easily as you did what's what's your number one sort of surprising thing about the movement or about your sort of involvement in the movement uh, <laughs> I don't know um so when you started, so when you started thinking, for instance, about again, your original concept was to help Jay and do some workshops, and you're still doing that. Did you automatically assume that your vision would change, or like how uh, how specific was your vision when you started out? Not specific enough, but I think even if it had been specific, it wouldn't have mattered, right? Because nobody knew what this was going to be. Yeah. Um, I knew that I wanted to do something creative and I didn't want to be behind a desk and I didn't want to be taking clothes to the dry cleaner and buying those hundreds of dollars of Hanes pantyhose. I knew that I did not want to continue doing that. Yeah. Right. Um, but I didn't really have a, a, a big plan laid out. And then when I had a plan, it got changed. Right. <laughs> so um, I guess the biggest surprise for me um, a couple of them just really early on, um, our career workshop that I was in, you were supposed to write to somebody in the industry in which you wanted to work. And so I wrote to Jay. Never in my wildest dreams cause you, could you have told me then that he was going to hire me <laughs> and I was going to move across the country in a house that I had built with my hands and go to work for him. Right. What? Right. Like, what? <laughs> and then during my construction um, in Dallas, I... You know, I had a blog because most of my friends and family were out of state and it was easier to write a blog entry and update a dozen people than have 12 phone calls. And landing on the front page above the fold of the Dallas Morning News was pretty darn surprising. Didn't see that coming. I didn't think that what I was doing was anything so unique that anybody would care about it. I was wrong. And that, that newspaper article was the tipping point of, oh, like strangers are asking me what I'm doing. And I just had my head down in a field and I was building. I wasn't, I never planned to be in the public eye in any 
way. It just sort of happened. So I guess those are some pretty big surprises and, and surprise that I kind of like the unknown. Turns out I kind of like not knowing what's happening on oh. day six. I oh, have days one through five figured out, and mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know about six. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, I kind of like it. Mm. So, Speaking of liking things, how's uh, married life? It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. It does have its challenges because uh, we are, you know, we're in love with two different parts of the country. And so deciding what we're going to do and where we're going to do it is a topic of daily conversation. And we have lists of pros and cons and things that we absolutely have to have and things that we'd like, but we'd be okay if we didn't have them for the first few years. Or um, It's, you know, it's awesome, but it, you know, it's a compromise. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. So um, you've been traveling lately in your car, but what is your, we'll call it your normal existence like? You're, you're not in your 78 square feet house, right? Mm-hmm. Or you are? Like, what's your normal day-to-day married life look like? When we're in Dallas, our house is actually parked in Garland, just adjacent to Dallas, at my career coach's house. Oh, Oh, nice. (laughs) She has eight acres. I did my construction there, and this is, I think, my third round of being parked there, and I'm there with the mayor's permission. He he occasionally visits, and we meet for waffles, and um, they know that I'm there, and it's okay, which Mm -hmm. is really nice. I'm not visible from the road. Is it illegal to live in something like that in Garland? Technically, yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, the mayor actually wants to start a village, but he doesn't have enough support of his council mm. to pull it off. Mm-hmm. But now his council changed, mm. so he's um, a little bit more optimistic, but now he's leaving office in April. So he's like, mm, I don't think I can do it in time. So um, our day-to-day is uh, we're, we are in the 78 square feet, and we, I do a lot of work from home, and usually that means taking my computer into Helen, my career coach's space. She has a really beautiful, large, old house that she's very generous with, and so I'll often take my computer in there to work. And John does his running, and he drives for Uber Eats, and... You know, he got his license for chemical dependency counseling transferred to Texas to work there. But because we're doing such a three months here, four months there, that kind of employment does not lend itself to that kind of schedule. Mm -hmm. And so we're still kind of figuring that out. And so our day-to-day is pretty darn laid back. Mm -hmm. Although somehow we never have enough time either. I always have this (laughs) list of, oh my gosh, I have to get this email off too, or I need to go in. And so it's, um, there is no real routine to it, but, and there's just lots of maps tacked up to the wall and calendars. And we're always just going, all right, so if we did that, could we do this? All right, let's do this. Let's go there. So it's pretty random right now. We're not and I'm really needing some footing. I'm looking for that and I need that. And so like, all right, by the end of the summer, we have to have a plan. So we know we're going to Minnesota for the summer. And when we come out of that, um, before winter hits, I hope that we know where we're going. What are the two country parts of the country that you two are different about? I really love Dallas. Dallas is home for me. Okay. And he really loves Northern Minnesota. Oh, interesting. Which we're from the same hometown. Oh, interesting. North of, we went to high school together mm-hmm. and just reconnected um, a couple of years ago. Is it predominantly weather that's the. Yes. Yeah, I figured. Yes. I left Minnesota at 17 
because I hate winter. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was up there for the last two and a half years um, helping my parents, mm-hmm. and my work there is done. Mm-hmm. And so I'm happy to be back in Texas, but John isn't quite as excited about that yeah. as I am. And so, you know, we're like, well, do we find a third neutral place to start start off or do we hang on to part of what's familiar we really want to be able to do the snowbird thing and mm-hmm. summer and winter and opposing climates mm-hmm. but you know what does that look like and family obligations and so yeah it's complicated or there's portland yeah where you enjoyed our tire fires two days ago <laughs> <laughs> yeah she my, was impacted by that my, oh, yeah my <laughs> sister's neighborhood actually was evacuated oh, so wow. we i actually wasn't sure that i was going to be back in time for this interview because she's saying i don't know that you can come back yeah. you might have to stay i'm like oh that'd be terrible to have to stay up in bellingham <laughs> i'd hate that <laughs> anyway so glad that that cleared up when mm. we could be back but yeah the northwest is i think is would be a compromise between those two uh, climates, right? John's right. nodding his head. We, you know, we were <clears throat> not anticipating it being as cold here in the winter as it is. We know that we'd love it in the summer, but this is not our warm winter getaway out of Minnesota. No, it's right. not. And so um, we're going to try Texas and split our summers maybe between Minnesota and the Pacific Northwest, and then at some point probably let go of Texas and as our summer place and maybe make the, or I'm sorry, the winter place, um, perhaps make that somewhere further south on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Mm. And that's, you know, like an eight-year plan. <laughs> 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 right now I'm good if I know what I'm doing for five days. So. <laughs> Are I you? have my next four months mapped out, and beyond that, oh, I'm if, I, if I make it through there, I'm pr- I'd probably be, be pretty good. I have a couple anchor points, but things that happen in between there, anything could happen. Are you guys going to build that straw bale house yourselves? Yeah, we are. Um, I've been to a couple of workshops with Andrew Morrison, mm. and I have a passel of friends that said they'd be excited to help, and Andrew said that he thinks that he can we can probably make something happen. That's the size that we're building is too small for one of his traditional workshops, but um, we might be able to convince him to travel to wherever that might be yeah. and help us out. So oh, very cool. Yeah. Planning on it. What, what do you see? You know, like you said, the, it's kind of gone from women, women built this kind of thing to more families. Now what's, what's five minutes in the future? Like what's on the horizon that you see? I have no idea. That's like trying to guess what a jury is going to come back mm-hmm, with. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. analogy. I have an absolutely, yeah. you don't know, actually. and you think you might know. Mm-hmm. You think you might, oh, there's a couple signals that I think I can decipher. You can't. Right. You can't. I have no yeah. idea. Mm-hmm. Are you optimistic about their ability to eventually become legal? Yes. So we got some yes. general optimism, right? Yeah, totally. I think that's coming. And I think I think villages are just around the corner. Yeah. I really do. You know, we have that one opening in Lake Dallas, just north of Dallas proper mm-hmm. this year. Right. Uh, Terry Landtrip is doing a 13-house development that is approved and moving forward. The one in Austin? The big one in Austin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't there a big so, one in Colorado, too, with Sprout? Um, we talked sure. about that, didn't we? We had like, three, I don't remember had like what it's three called, in the works yeah, or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And I think even even more uh, readily in reach, I think, are them being acceptable just as ADUs in your backyard. Yeah, that's for sure. I think that's coming even faster Mm -hmm. than the villages are. I mean, Portland obviously has already said they're not um, evicting people out, evicting people for that kind of thing. And so I think that acceptance is moving quickly as well. Yeah. 
there will be pockets of areas that allow it, of course, mm-hmm. but yeah. Okay, well, uh, BA, it was fabulous having you here. Um, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Oh, good. Me. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Good to see you all again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Tiny House listeners, thanks again for listening to another episode. Um, this was a kind of low-key, but interesting nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And uh, next week, we'll have somebody else equally as interesting. Uh, I don't think we have our next time <clears throat> slot. I mean, we we know who our next roster is roughly, but we haven't put them in time slots right, yet. Right, right. Uh, Maybe dead air. You never know. Dead air is always good if it's interesting. <laughs> 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 Check us out on all the social media networks and any distribution service you get a podcast from because we're on there everywhere thanks I to Mark. I think so. I think so. We're really yeah. getting there. We right? are. Right. If we should be someplace, let us know. Yeah, that's for sure. And then also, if you're while you're letting us know, feel free to go to iTunes and leave us a review. Or Facebook. Or Facebook even, yeah. Engage Facebook's Facebook. pretty easy. Everybody's on Facebook, seems like. Yeah. so. Mm-hmm. And uh, as ever, thanks to uh, Rick McNerney for making us sound more beautiful than we actually are. <laughs> it's a tough shot. job, right? <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Namaste. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if you remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>